Welcome back to the OBG Med Student Podcast. This podcast is designed for medical students that are on the OB-GYN clerkship. Today we're going to be addressing preterm labor, and if you wanted to follow along, you can go to www.apco.org backslash students, and this is topic number 24. You can also follow along in the Beckman and Ling textbook, the 8th edition, and this is chapter 15. Today our guest is Dr. Alexa Swales. She is a third year resident at the Penn State Hershey Medical Center. And today we'll be discussing a case with her on preterm labor and we will be asking her some questions. So welcome Dr. Swales. Thank you. All right, so this is an 18-year-old African-American G2P0101 who is currently 12 weeks pregnant. She's presenting to the prenatal clinic for a new patient visit. Before you walk into the room to see the patient, you look through the records and note that she delivered her last pregnancy just 12 months ago. Beginning at 24 weeks in her previous pregnancy, the patient presented numerous times to labor and delivery reporting contractions as was sent home and was sent home each time with a diagnosis of Braxton Hicks contractions. She eventually presented at 28 weeks and was diagnosed with preterm labor. She then went on to deliver at 29 weeks. The neonate's course was complicated by intraventricular hemorrhage and respiratory distress syndrome. The child now appears to have cerebral palsy and chronic lung disease due to bronchopulmonary dysplasia. Dr. Swales, just to clarify, this is a patient that is a G2P0101. What does that mean? So the G is the number of pregnancies this patient has had, including the current pregnancy. The P's are broken down into term deliveries, preterm deliveries, miscarriages, and living children. So this patient is in her second pregnancy, and her first delivery was preterm, or before 37 weeks. Excellent. What are some of the risk factors for preterm labor? So risk factors for preterm labor, anytime that you have a history of a prior condition, you're at higher risk for that condition. So her prior history of preterm birth puts her at risk for a preterm birth in this pregnancy. Um, African-American race is associated with higher risks of preterm labor, um, as well as low BMI. A history of prior preterm contractions, even if they did not result in preterm labor, puts you at risk for preterm labor. Um, preterm rupture of membranes, incompetent or a short cervix would also put you at risk. Any kind of infections, including UTIs or vaginal infections like bacterial vaginosis, or any kind of intraamniotic infection will also put you at high risk. Things that extend the uterine cavity or expand the uterine cavity, um, including polyhydramnios or too much fluid, um, as well as having a multiple pregnancy like twins or triplets will put you at risk for preterm labor, or other things that distort the cavity like um, fibroids. Um, other things that might be associated are placental abruption or placenta previa, where the placenta overlies the cervix. Maternal smoking or substance abuse, particularly cocaine use, will put you at high risk, um, as well as any kind of inflammation or hemorrhage within the uterus. Excellent. So of these, which ones did our patient have? So most notably, I think, is her history of her prior preterm birth. Um, She's also a very small uh, lady, so she has low BMI. Um, Her last delivery was only 12 months ago, so that additionally puts her at risk. Um, And it's just important to note that we don't really know what puts you at risk for preterm labor to begin with, kind of this underlying factor that would have made her deliver her first baby prematurely. 
Um, so we don't really understand the whole pathophysiology of that. They think that it may be uh, related to some kind of inflammation um, and that a fetal inflammatory response contributes to the onset of preterm labor. Got it. So we've heard a lot about Braxton Hicks contractions. Patients will typically complain about those all throughout the pregnancy. What is the definition of Braxton Hicks contractions and what is the definition of preterm labor? So Braxton Hicks contractions are um, contractions that can occur usually after 30 weeks gestation. Um, And they're small irregular contractions that typically do not cause a lot of discomfort. Um, Preterm labor technically is um, uterine contractions that are regular and that are accompanied by a change in cervical dilation. And typically when we're talking about that, we're talking about dilation of greater than two centimeters. Yeah, by definition, preterm delivery would ultimately mean that these contractions are causing cervical change between 20 weeks and zero days and 36 weeks and six days. What would you counsel the patient regarding the signs and symptoms of preterm labor? So it's very difficult when you have a patient that presents to triage with contractions to know whether these ultimately will result in preterm labor or whether they are strictly preterm contractions. Um, When we ask women to identify signs and symptoms that are associated with preterm labor, um, they will often report things like menstrual cramps, um, a backache, abdominal or pelvic pressure, um, abdominal cramping, which may or may not be accompanied by diarrhea, nausea, other symptoms that we associate with true labor, um, or an increase or a change in vaginal discharge, which may be watery discharge, like they broke their water, or just an increase in mucus discharge. Um, And then in terms of things that just are associated in general, uterine contractions, but they may be painless or painful, and sometimes we don't distinguish well between those. What recommendations, if any, would you discuss with this patient regarding prevention strategies to reduce the risk of preterm delivery in this pregnancy, to reduce the risk of neurodevelopmental disorders and other morbidity associated with preterm labor in this fetus should she experience preterm labor? So this is really interesting, and this is a practice change over about the past year. Um, We used to recommend for women who had a history of preterm labor, um, intramuscular or vaginal progesterone. That is no longer the recommendation. So you may see that in your textbook. Um, But just know that when you hit the wards, that's not something that we practice anymore because that uh, has not been shown in further analyses. Uh, to be associated with a decrease in preterm labor and puts the mother and fetus at risks. So we learned the results of this um, prolonged trial in March of 2019. So that's a relatively recent practice recommendation. Um, Otherwise, in terms of prevention strategies to reduce neurodevelopmental disorders or other neonatal morbidities, um, we do consider prior to 32 weeks administration of magnesium sulfate to the mother, um, and that reduces the risk of cerebral palsy in infants by reducing the risk of intraventricular hemorrhage. Um, Also for mothers that are either have an unknown GBS status or are known to be GBS positive, we would treat them with GBS prophylaxis to reduce the risk of uh, group beta strep sepsis um, in the neonatal period. And then for deliveries uh, that we anticipate to be preterm, we also administer steroids. So this we're talking about either betamethasone or dexamethasone. Um, And these are given to the mother prior to 37 weeks gestation in order to 
uh, accelerate fetal lung maturity and decrease the risk of necrotizing enterocolitis or intraventricular hemorrhage. Excellent. So if this patient does experience preterm labor, what recommendations would you make regarding treatment and management? Um, so there are a couple of tests that, uh, that you can do to determine whether the patient is at risk of delivering in the next week. That includes fetal fibronectin testing and then cervical length exam. Um, Fetal fibronectin testing is most useful when it's negative. It has a very high false positive rate, but if it's negative, you can be reasonably reassured that the patient will not go into labor within the next week. Um, And same for cervical length. If the cervical length is longer than 2.5 centimeters, you can be reasonably reassured that the patient is not going into preterm labor. Um, And then if you find that your patient is in preterm labor, there are a number of different medications that we would administer prior to 34 weeks um, that would aid in stopping labor. So those would include magnesium sulfate um, as well as nifedipine and indomethacin um, and other medications like terbutaline. Dr. Swales, could we talk just briefly about magnesium and what are some of the risks associated with that? Sure. So when you see patients on magnesium, they have a very characteristic appearance. It causes initially when you give a bolus maternal flushing, um, and then over time, an increased magnesium level will give you decreased reflexes, muscle weakness, and can result in pulmonary edema. Um, So we make sure to maintain a therapeutic range. Um, It can also result in fetal lethargy, and you'll see this on the heart rate monitor. The variability in the heart rate typically is decreased. You can also see neonatal hypotonia and respiratory distress upon delivery, and sometimes bone abnormalities if the mother's been exposed to magnesium for more than seven days. So I guess it's really important that we limit our use of tocolytics such as magnesium to just about the time necessary to complete the antenatal steroid course. Is that about right? That's right. So the... um, Tocolytic drugs have never been shown to have any benefit beyond prolonging pregnancy for 48 hours, which is enough time for a patient to be what we consider to be steroid complete or to have obtained the maximum benefit from the steroids that we administer. Are there any risks or side effects associated with nifedipine or endomethacin? Nifedipine can be associated with hypotension, which makes sense because we use it as an antihypertensive drug in other settings. Um, endomethacin can be associated with some nausea and gastroesophageal reflux and gastritis. Um, we would anticipate that um, like any other NSAID. Um, additionally, uh, the big thing that we worry about from a fetal perspective is premature closure of the ductus arteriosus. And if the patient has administered endomethacin for more than 48 hours, um, it may keep the ductus arteriosus patent. And then finally, Dr. Swales, what about drugs that are considered beta-memetics? So beta-memetics are drugs like terbutaline. Um, These are associated with some maternal tachycardia and can also be associated with hypotension, tremor, shortness of breath, chest discomfort, pulmonary edema, um, and electrolyte disturbances like hypokalemia. What are some of the potential adverse outcomes of preterm birth for this fetus? So potential um, adverse outcomes uh, typically focus on the lungs, so respiratory distress syndrome in the short period, and then long-term, we're talking about bronchopulmonary dysplasia. Um, We also worry about interventricular hemorrhage, so hemorrhage into the um, cerebral ventricles, um, and resultant seizures, neurologic impairment, cerebral palsy. 
Um, we also worry about an immature gut, um, so that puts the uh, baby at risk for necrotizing enterocolitis and resultant sepsis. Dr. Swales, thank you so much for joining us today to review the APCO educational topic number 24, preterm labor. We have really enjoyed having you here. We hope to have you back again. Awesome. Thanks for having me.